Well, it's Wednesday night, and we want to say welcome to everyone joining us in church physically and those following us online. It's um, This week is a big week in the United States, Thanksgiving weekend, and um, the Lord willing, my f sister Chandri and I and Jeremiah would be heading into the United States tomorrow morning. I say God willing because things can always happen, close up the border like it was today. But um, we're hoping to get into Rochester for church on the weekend, Thanksgiving Day on Wednesday, on Thursday, that's tomorrow, and uh, church service on Sunday. So I guess there would not be any live streaming uh, this weekend. Um, we'll try to record the service in Rochester while we're there. But welcome to our Wednesday night service, and we pray that God be, is with us this evening. It's a quiet night here in, in Mississauga, not much happening. Weather is not too bad, but we're heading into the winter months, and only God knows what lies ahead. But you know, God has always been good to us. Uh, we have never had devastating snowstorms. I struggle to say that word, but I have never had devastating snowstorms in this Mississauga area where the church is at. But we are praying that God, whatever his will is, let his will be done. Uh, join me in prayer as we start this service tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I would like to bring this congregation before you tonight. And together we praise and we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, words are insufficient to tell you how much we are grateful to you for your many blessings on our lives. Not every day is a wonderful day because we have challenges, like your word tells us we would, but we appreciate your grace that strengthens our faith as we face these challenges, Father. We commit this Wednesday night before you, Lord, and we commit this entire weekend, upcoming weekend before you. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless this service tonight and cover us as we make a trip into Rochester uh, tomorrow. And may your will be with us and may your grace overshadow us, Father, as we head into the weekend. Bless the Sunday service locally here and bless the service in, in Rochester, we pray. In Jesus' name, once again, we ask you to bless us here in this service tonight. Amen and amen. For Jesus is the lighthouse and from the rocks of sin he has shown around me that i can clearly see if it wasn't for the lighthouse tell me where will this ship be and i thank god for the lighthouse I owe my 
my life to Him. For Jesus is the lighthouse, and from the rocks of sin, He has shown His light around me that I might clearly see. If it wasn't for the lighthouse, tell me where. Thank God for the lighthouse, I owe my life to Him. For Jesus is the lighthouse, and from the rocks of sand, <clears throat> around me that I might clearly see. If it wasn't for the lighthouse, tell me where will this ship be? God for the lighthouse, I owe my life to Him. For Jesus is the lighthouse, <clears throat> the rocks of sand around me that I might clearly see. <clears throat> Tell me where will this ship be? Jesus is <clears throat> and from the rocks of sin Yeah. 
Um, the songs we sing sometimes is such a blessing. Um, we often get comments sent to us of how the choruses lift their spirits. And so I really appreciate Nadine doing this work, and I appreciate the Lord helping us. I came on in, and one of those Many nights when my, I come on and sit here and my mind is, mind is blank. Maybe I ask somebody else to preach tonight. And as this, we get closer to the service, I open my Bible and a line of thoughts start to run through my mind. And I'm thinking of this wonderful book that I have before me. And we are so privileged that in our day we have what we call the Bible, the King James translators and whoever else did, they call it the Holy Bible. And it is comprised of 66 pieces of materials that were put together. Uh, whether that's good or that's bad, 
I'm not sure. Uh, because I would like to look at each piece of manuscript as an individual manuscript, as an isolate each manuscript by itself and see it as uh, having its own purpose. Uh, when you put them all together, and the, what the translators did, they put them all together and it says, close canon. It means you can't add anything. Uh, if they did this before Jesus came on the scene, then all the Hebrew scriptures would be put together and they say, close canon. Probably they did. And so when you come now, like Matthew, and you start to put a gospel together, you got to be a false prophet. And so it is difficult when man is set on tradition, and they hold on to certain ideologies and customs and practices. And even the Bible that I have before me, uh, and I said, was, is this good to have it in one book? Um, or is it a bad thing? And it depends on your mind. Because I see this as six to six pieces of material. And we know when we look back on history that it is said that Moses wrote the first five books. Well, whoever wrote it, I'm looking at a scripture right now in Second Peter chapter 1. And Peter is writing in his epistle. And remember, remember that the, the epistles that Peter were writing, in those days there were just letters uh, traveling around. No one put them in a book. Uh, but Peter, when he wrote First Peter, it was an epistle, it was a letter. The word epistle means letter. And you had it in a scroll and... You could take it to wherever uh, it is meant to be taken, and then you read this from the scroll. Well, we today, we have them put together, and we feel that's all that we need. Well, Peter himself, in Second Peter, when he's writing here, he says, according to chapter 1, verse 3, he said, according to his divine power, hath he given to us all things. I like that. He says, all the things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. This is a beautiful one verse. And I remember Brother Vid, he likes this verse because he always uh, refers to it. God has given us all that we need for spiritual maturity and for our protection, uh, for our perfection on this journey that we have embarked on. All things. Everybody say all things. In other words, we are not handicapped. We are not like short of something. Of course, we are always short of something if we let the humanity that we are controlled by take a hold of us. Today, if you say, Brother Singh, what are you short of? We need more of the Spirit of God. Uh, I feel we are short on the Spirit of God. And because we are short on the Spirit of God, we are short on power. And so what you do uh, when you're short on something, you try to see if you can uh, find a substitute. And so uh, when the Spirit is not moving, we manufacture 
methods and methodologies that will create an impression that the Spirit is moving. And preachers and congregations alike have developed methods and methodologies. Uh, we come on in with a massive band and we've got to, uh, you know, like there in my early days when I became a part of this fellowship, I was told that when you have a worship service, you got to go slow because the people's, their minds are carnal. So you got to go slow. And then you develop speed. Like I was actually told like an airplane about to take off. Uh, you get the engine revving and then you go on a runway and you slowly go and then you start to develop speed and before you know it, you're fast enough to take off with that airplane. Well, that's what I was told about a service. And so why should I run slow? And uh, unless I'm catering to the human nature, uh, do I, is that what Paul did? Is that in scripture that you start slow and then you'd go to medium? And we actually did that in Guyana. Uh, we had slow songs, we had medium songs, and we had fast songs. Uh, so we did that for years until I found out that without any songs, sung in the church, God can still move. And that's the best thing to have God moving in the service when there is not even singing. And so we sing to get our minds together. And then I also discovered that if your minds are carnal, then to capture your minds, I don't need to go too slow because you're going to fall asleep. I need to give you something to touch your carnal mind to get a rhythm in your uh, feet to get your mind you know there and if that does not work then when I start to talk I pick up carnal things I remember one day uh, we were in Kenmuir Avenue and I walked in there and the singing was dead and everything was dead like it was no life in the service and so I remember going to the mailbox and someone wrote a letter and didn't sign their name. So I picked that letter up and I come into the service. And I said, I got a letter to read to you here that's an obnoxious letter. And talk about people's attention. Everybody got, I got their attention because it's a carnal letter to carnal minds. And so they all got their minds focused. And I started to talk about the letter and by the time you know it, we are in the Word of God, and their minds were there, and I was able to capture the minds of the people. And that is important, because I have before me here six to six books, and sometimes, you know, like there, uh, you look at this, and because it's the English language, it's not what was written originally by the men. I need more than this book in order to preach the gospel for today. And Peter, in writing here, he says here, uh, we have verse 3, he says, according to his divine power, has given unto us all things, everything we need, that pertain to life, to tell us how to live. And not only live in this world, but how we can experience life from God, that he can quicken our spirits that were dead in trespasses and sin 
and bring us to life. So we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. How shall I be godly? You see, to be godly means to take on God's ways. And if I don't know what his ways are, and what his commandments are, and what his principles are, I might fabricate something that someone passed, or someone passed on to me, I might take on that, and I might think, this is godliness. It's godliness that I lift my hand when it's time to say praise God. It's godliness when someone is preaching that I even though don't understand what they're saying, to say amen. Uh, I might my understanding and my, uh, and my definition of godliness might not really be godliness. So when it's not godliness according to what God wants, it's ungodly. If I'm singing not according to what God wants, it's, and it's not godliness, it's ungodliness. So ungodly does not mean I'm drinking booze in a tavern. That's ungodly too. But I can be in the church and be ungodly. Now hold your finger in 1st, 2nd Peter chapter 1. And I think I want the next, um, pass, go past John, the epistle of John, and then come to the book, uh, the little one chapter book of Jude. He says, he says, um, uh, Jude, they say, according to tradition, was the brother of Jesus. But Jude says, he writes here, and he says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James. He was brother of James. So Jesus had a brother who was named Judas, or Jude. And he had a brother whose name was James. He says, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ and Jesus Christ and called. He says, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Now, if this was the brother of Jesus, he's not doing too bad. Isn't, it, isn't that right? Already he tackled the Godhead in verse 1. Then he greets the saints in verse 2, <clears throat> and then he comes down to the brass stacks, like we would say, down to the point. He says, Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, he says, I wanted to write unto you and tell you how Jesus died to save us and how we can be saved and how we can live for God. He says, when I give all diligence, to write unto you of the common salvation, I had to change my message. It was needful for me to write unto you, not about the common salvation anymore, but to tell you how to fight to protect the gospel that was given to us. I'm going to read that again now. It says, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful are of a necessity for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend or fight to hold on to for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. See, by the time Jude was writing here, 86 to 6, just about 
uh, 30 years, little over 30 years after Jesus was gone and the church was in existence, the faith that was taught to them was being undermined. Today, I wish we had more men like Jude in the ministry. Men that are concerned that what we was passed on to the early church, we have still maintained. Men that understand when truth is being undermined by apostasy, that we should be concerned about it. And Jude says, no point in me preaching. You see, if Jude was standing in front of this pulpit here, and the congregation was sitting here, instead of writing a letter, he's talking to the congregation, and he came with a beautiful message prepared, but when he look at the element, and he listened to some testimonies, and he see the stupidity that's existing in the church, he would say, well, today, I want to talk to you, and depends on how many ministers are sitting behind him. He says, I came here all prepared to talk to you about how the Lord is good and salvation and talk about a resurrection and talk about the kingdom of God. He says, man, but I'm going to change my message. Because the much, as much as I listen to it today, I'm listening to apostasy and negativism and false doctrine. So I'm going to be telling you how dangerous heresy is today as I stand to talk to you. And he might be the last one of all the ministers talking, and he has heard enough. And so he's not standing in the pulpit today, but he's writing a letter that we're reading. He says, I want to tell you about some good things, but I had to change my mind and tell you how to fight to hold on argue, debate, to hold on to the truth. They won't like you, but that doesn't matter. You're trying to hold on to the truth. Be a man. Contend for the faith. Everybody say that. Amen. He says, for certain men are crept in unawares. So, what do you mean, Jude, they're crept in unawares? You mean Brother Joe did not see somebody crawling in front of him? They're creeping in slowly unawares? Hmm? No. No. They came on in. Praise the Lord, Brother Joe. How are you doing? You know, praise the Lord. I'm a Christian. And they came on in, and you think they're a Christian, but they're a demonically possessed individual calling on the name of Jesus. They cropped in without the saints recognizing who they were, and he goes on to say, who are before of old ordained to this condemnation. They were elect to be damned. He says, on, they come into the church, they're part of the church, but they are ungodly men. If you're not godly, you're ungodly. If you're not promoting the doctrines that God once promoted... If you're not promoting the customs that God once promoted, if you're not pr pr uh, promoting godliness like God once it promoted, and you're not teaching the people how to live for God like God once it promoted, you're ungodly. Amen. See, ungodly does not mean you're not in the church. You could be sitting in the church singing songs, but your mind is contrary to what God wants. Ungodly. 
And the world and innocent minds out there in the world becomes prey to ungodly, a go ungodly thought pattern of, from preachers who crept in unawares. Amen. So Jude is writing. He says, For there certain men crept in unawares who were of old, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our, Lord, our God into lasciviousness. Someone says, well, you know, praise God, we have grace. Thank God for His grace. Isn't that a wonderful concept? Thank God for His grace. Everybody say, thank God for His grace. Isn't, isn't the grace of God the unmerited favor of God? Yes. So, well, thank God for His grace. You know, because of God's grace, don't let anyone condemn you and tell you that you're a sinner and you don't, uh, you're not living right. The grace of God covers you. So loose living, hoping that the grace of God covers you. That's what they were promoting. They were promoting loose living and calling it, well, it's under, it's the grace of God. You don't have to worry about it. Lasciviousness. And when I think of the work of God today, if God has not ordained what we're doing and what we preach, if what we preach is not examined carefully enough, we could be promoting messages that lead to ungodliness rather than godliness. See, because the devil himself is transformed as an angel of light. So I'm looking at Jude say, he says, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus, they're denying the Lordship. And I like how he says this, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus. Now, if you leave the Jude and just look over to the left, if you have an Oxford Bible, all you need to do is look over to the left and you'll see 2 John. Uh, 2 John, John is writing here and he says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. He says, for the truth's sake, verse, um, he says, I'm read that again. The elder, that is John, unto the elect lady, he calls the church an elect lady. You know, it is the dream, it is my dream. I shouldn't say the dream of every pastor. It is my dream that I could have had a church that I look at and see it as an elect lady. You see, a lady... It's not loud. A lady is not brawling. A lady is not immodest. A lady is not vulgar. A lady has qualities of, I would say, she has finesse. She is ladylike. She don't stand up and argue with a man. No, that's not a woman. You see, the elect lady, when, the, when a man calls, when this elder calls the church an elect lady, the saints in that church put together, conducted themselves with such dignity and soberness and sobriety that this John says to the elect lady, praise God. 
It is my desire years ago that I could have a church that I could call an elect lady, but I give that up. Because in today's world, you can't find that. That is why when someone says we're all going to be in the first resurrection, you've got to be kidding. And so, John is writing here, and he says, Grace be unto you, verse 3, and peace from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. See, all the apostles understood the Godhead. None of them believed in the Trinity. And none of them was a oneness. The way they approached uh, their letters and their salutation and the way they introduced themselves, they all believed there was a Father and there was a Son to separate and distinct entity. And then he goes on here, he says, I, verse 4, I greatly, I rejoice greatly that I found thy children walking, living the gospel they preach. And that is what made this church an elect lady. See, this church, this group of people that John was writing to, carried themselves with, with dignity. They walked daily in truth. They don't only talk about truth, they walked in truth. Today, I had to pick something up from Dollarama, so I, we adjusted the church. I parked the van, I said, Chan, wait for me. We need some plastic sleeves. And so I went in quickly, and on my way, in front of Dollarama, between Dollarama and McDonald's, there was a bunch of men sitting there. All day, a bunch of losers. And one of them stopped me. He says, Pastor, stop, stop, stop. He says, I want to ask you a question. I said, don't ask me a question. As long as you're smoking, when you finish smoking, then ask me. And I left. Right? So he said, but, he, and he's about to tell me, and he actually said it, but I was gone. He's about to tell me God made tobacco. You know, like, um... So, you know, if, if I was there and he was telling me God made tobacco, I'd tell him, well, God also made cyanide. You know, he made a lot of things. It's, it depends on what we want to abuse ourselves. And so I pass by and, you know, you understand that I'm a child of God. I don't hobnob with the non-elect. Show me your company and I'll tell you who you are. My dad told me that when I was growing up. Show me your company and I'll tell you who you are. That's what my old man told me as I was growing up. And that is so true because we must understand these things. But this church, the people were walking in truth. Their life, they were not only walking in truth when they came to church and were shouting and screaming. They understood truth. As it should be understood. Their doctrine was correct. Not because they fast and pray. Means that they're close to God. If their doctrine is not right. Then I sort of question how they walk. Being in church is one thing. How when you leave the church. How you live. It's another thing. That's right. That's right. And Sister Chandri was telling me, 
uh, we got invited to a party, um, a birthday party on Saturday, right? That one Saturday, a very wonderful person having a birthday party, and that's the only time available. And Sister Chandri said, you know, we're church folks. We don't go to parties on Saturdays or Sundays. As a matter of fact, we don't go to parties at all. I really don't like parties. I really do not like to waste my life. I wouldn't travel half across, halfway across the world to go to a birthday party. But the Lord spoke to me and told me, well, please tell me not to listen to that Lord that speaks to you. Because the one that speaks to me tells me differently. How did I say I didn't have a message to preach? Uh, now, now, listen to me carefully. And so John says, I rejoice to see thy, uh, thy children walking in truth. <clears throat> he says, for seven, for many deceivers are enter into the world who confess not that Jesus is come in the flesh. He says, look to yourself, verse 8, look to yourself. I like that because I think that is what uh, Moses said in Deuteronomy. Don't, don't turn, just keep your finger in, in John. Uh, but I think when I go to Deuteronomy somewhere there, <clears throat> that the Lord, um, Moses told the people to look to yourself. Um, I wish I could remember where, where that is, where Moses said, look to yourself. Um, anyways, forget that. Let me come back here to, uh, to John. And John says, look to yourself that we lose not those things which we have wrought but that we receive it a full reward. He says, now we are starting on a journey. We have improved certain things in our lives. Don't go back. Don't go back to the beggarly element. Let your salvation continue to be progressive. The things you used to do, don't do them again. If the Lord has saved you, quit. And walk in truth. And then he comes on here. He says, whosoever transgresseth, verse 9, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. If you transgress and abide not in the teachings or the lifestyle that Christ promotes, we're not talking doctrine here like two and the God. They didn't have a problem with the doctrine a theological doctrine in those days. They had a problem with looseness and loose living. Godly living was a problem back there. And he says, whosoever transgresseth, that is, goeth contrary to the teachings of Christ, how we need to serve God, you don't have God. Come on, Jude, uh, John, come on, John, you got to be kidding. You mean I don't have God? Yes, you do not have God, even though you're shouting God, God, God in the church. If your concept of promoting the gospel is not correct, then you don't have God. And he goes on to say, and this is beautiful, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both, both, everybody say both. Oh, that nobody's saying they mistranslate that. It should have been just, he had both, he does not have, he have the one. 
God and Father join together. Now, he has both the Father and the Son. John understood that there were two entities. And we must have our doctrine right so godliness might be promoted in our lives. And so when Jude talked about these ungodly individuals in Jude uh, verse 4, John is not saying anything different in 2 John. But coming back here, and we, we don't want to miss any place, but in Peter, in Peter, 2 Peter, uh, Peter is writing here and he says uh, in 2 Peter, and he writes here and he says, According to the divine power, verse 3, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, According to his divine power, had he given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Godliness is a lifestyle. You see, if I drink the cup of the Lord today and drink the cup of the devil tomorrow, I don't understand what's godly. See, it is very strange. He says, through the knowledge of him that has called you, God has called you to glory and to virtue. This is what God has called you to. And so we cannot live godly if we hobnob with the ungodly. Are you following me? All right. And he goes on here and he says, but God has called us to glory and virtue. He says, and he talks about this divine nature that we're striving to get. We have a divine nature. We want to be like Christ. We want, when we see him, we become like him. This mortal must put on immortality. When this mortal put on immortality, you have the divine nature. You're not having a divine nature full of carnal thoughts. You'll have a divine nature when this flesh is changed and this mortal puts on immortality. We're talking about proceeding, living, with aspirations of getting the divine nature. It's a goal that is set before us. And so what do you do? He says, um, let me read that, verse 4, wherefore? Whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped, you're escaping the corruption that is in this ungodly world <clears throat> that's captivated many of us through lust, our own lust. You see, you sit down, and today, it's not like it used to be. The saints in the early church, if they had a television, they would not be able to come to maturity. If those people in Hebrews 11 had television and the media, their names would not be recorded there. We destroy our souls by what the media offers us. <clears throat> and the time that we should spend Putting our minds on God, we, we destroy our own mind and blame the devil for doing the job. Are you listening? We destroy our own minds. What your mind feeds on develops your spirit. What your body feeds on develops your natural strength. Okay? 
What you feed on naturally, your food, your diet, naturally, if you don't have enough calcium, it will tell on you. If you don't eat enough vegetables, it will tell on you. If you don't have enough, enough vitamins E and vitamin D and all these vitamins in your body, you will lose out and you develop a, a low resistance to, to, to diseases, naturally. That's a physical body. You need milk. You need some iron. You need vegetables. You need some, you know, like I'm telling you natural things here. I'm not giving you a lesson on health, but it is a lesson on health. You've got to eat healthy in order to combat the diseases that are in society. All right? Are you listening? Okay. Well, spiritually, if your mind feeds on garbage and what the internet provides more than you feed on God, but it's saying, do you watch shows? Yes, I do. What do you do most? Listen to the Word of God. I was here this morning. What do you think I had in my pocket, Brother Joe? Listening to the Word of God. I listen to the Word of God more than I listen to anything else. So even if I wanted to look at a sports, no big deal. I look at it, but my mind is filled with the Word of God because that's what I listen to most of the time. From the time I wake up in the morning all the way down, I'm listening to the Word of God being preached. And when you do that, it sanctifies your mind and saves your mind. Uh, time is running out on us, so let's move on. And so Peter writes here, and he says, oh, I don't, I, I should, let me deal with it. He says, and besides this, let me, yes, and besides this, he says, give all diligence. Well, I'm a part of the church. I believe in all the doctrines. I believe in this church. Yes, it's your faith. What's your faith? I'm a Christian. I believe in this church. Well, believing, the devils believe and they tremble. What do you do? Because you believe. Does it direct your steps? See, believe is not just a theory. It must be implemented. It's you can do a driving test theoretically. You can go write this exam, do the test theoretically, but if you don't get in the car and drive, you, you ain't getting no license. If you can understand the Bible, but if you don't live the life, you're a failure. And so Jude is saying, uh, uh, Peter is writing here, he says, add to your faith. Now I believe in God, I believe in the church. Well, put some virtue to your faith. Don't just have faith. Let individuals see your faith. Let them feel the effects of your faith. Let them see the testimony that you have. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works. Put virtue to your faith. Well, Brother Singh, 
I know some people that are putting virtue to their faith because they're compassing land and sea to make a proselyte. Well, their faith was not right. The Pharisees' faith were not right. So when they travel land and sea to make a proselyte, they made two full children of hell just like themselves. And if our faith is not right, then we can't even add anything else to anything because we must get the faith right first. And when your faith is right, then you add to your faith some virtue. And then to virtue, not ignorance, but knowledge. And to knowledge, you add temperance. You don't go overboard on anything. You're temperate in all things. He says, and to temperance, you add patience. I told uh, to the when I was checking out tonight, uh, this lady, I had just two items. Two items and I was there the cash and she was ahead of me she had like 10 items and she was there and she turned around and says oh you only have two items you go ahead of me I said no I'm patient I am patient I said go ahead and then she went and she stalled up the machine she got something that couldn't scan and so the gentleman that was there he went over, started another cash, and he says, come over, Mr. Singh. And so went over and paid for it. But I do have patience. I do. If I didn't have patience, I'd be a nervous wreck pastoring this church. I do have patience. I'm waiting for some of you to save, be get saved. I'm waiting for some people to change. I'm patient. Is God patient. Shall we continue in sin because he is gracious? God forbid, Paul says. Don't take the grace of God for granted. And, and Paul, uh, Peter went on here, he said, at patience and to patience, godliness. Well, you, you didn't leave that out, Peter. No. He says, unto godliness, brotherly kindness. And that's not enough. And to brotherly kindness, charity. So you got seven steps. Number one, add virtue to your faith. Number two, knowledge. Number three, temperance. Number four, patience. Number five, godliness. Number six, brotherly kindness. And number seven, charity. And then he goes on here and he makes a statement in verse 11. Verse 10, he says, Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence <clears throat> to make your calling positive. You give diligence. Well, God is calling me. He's going to save me. No, no, no. Be diligent about your calling. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Be diligent about your calling. You understand what I'm saying? I'm a Christian, so I must do something about being a Christian. Don't just come to church and think that's serving the Lord. No, no, no. You come here to hear how to do it. When you go, that's how you do it. Be diligent about your salvation. He says, uh, make to, to make your calling positive. Uh, God is going to make it. No, no, no. You give diligence to make it. For if you do these things, you won't backslide. For so, 
after you follow these seven steps and you're diligent about your salvation, he says, so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I thought I'd just come to church and I'll be in the kingdom. No. 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 We might not have the whole church as an elect lady, but you as an individual could conduct yourself as an elect lady on a daily basis. Yes. Amen. I don't mean a real lady. I mean, what is required of what John was talking about when he says elect lady. The dignity, the holiness, the godliness that goes with being an elect child of God. You can't just be, you know, run of the mill. If you're to sit on a throne, you've got to have some dignity, class, and some royalty seen in you. You're the child of a king. Act the role. Live like a king. With royal dignity. And he goes on here, he says, for, he says, wherefore, well, I want to go in the kingdom, so this is what you have to do. Wherefore, Peter, Peter writes, and he says, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them. What am I doing here tonight? Reminding you that you need to live for God. Did you pray today? I'm not talking blessing a meal. Did you rise up early and talk to the Lord today? If not, you're not listening to what I'm preaching. But I'm patient. That's why I'm not going nuts. You have to maintain your relationship with God. And then when it comes down here, he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Paul, Paul is, uh, Peter is saying, I'm serving the Lord, but I have not followed cunningly devised fables. What I'm teaching the church is not fables. Is it possible that fables can be passed on to us? Absolutely. As a minister, it is my responsibility to give heed and search out. Because the preacher was wise, he need to give good heed and search out and set in order many proverbs. He need to sort out fables and eliminate them. My dad was a good man, but I can't follow my dad. His dad was a good man, but he can't follow his dad. And his grandfather thought a donkey ride was like the best thing that you can do in town. And he had dozens of them donkeys. He was a rich man in his own days. You keep the donkeys... Whether it's 60, and just give me a little car, and I'm happy. No, I can't follow my ancestors. I can't follow the past. I can't follow everything they did. We're today. Evil has advanced. Truth must advance to challenge evil as it exists today. 
And so, when you come down to the last part of Peter's second chapter, he says, knowing this first, verse 20, he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. We cannot just isolate scripture for a personal reason. He says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men speak, of God speak, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. When men in the Bible prophesied and spoke, when Isaiah went out there and spoke, he was not telling you what the seminary taught him, or his grandmother taught him. He was out there with a message from the Lord. And he could walk up there and says, Thus saith the Lord. They were inspired by the Holy Ghost. So brother saying, what are you saying? We don't have the Holy Ghost? Well, I wish we had more of the Holy Ghost. What are you saying? We're not inspired by the Holy Ghost? Every time I sit here, I feel I'm inspired by the Holy Ghost. I, do you feel that tonight? Absolutely. I'm sitting here talking to you, and I feel I'm inspired by the Holy Ghost to speak to you. And so when I'm speaking to you, under what I think is the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, what you do with it, that's your problem. What Isaiah, how much people did Isaiah save? There was one time, Elijah, was it Elijah? And he says, I preach and I just kill all the prophets of Baal. And I'm the only man preaching the truth left. And he was ready to run for his life because Jezebel wanted to kill him. He killed all the prophets, but the, the woman whose prophets uh, he had killed wanted him dead. And can you imagine a man running for his life? And then God told him, he says... Don't worry. They're not all the people. You're not the only one serving God. I've reserved 7,000 who has not bowed them knee, their knees to Baal nor is serving the devil. And today, my job is to get up here and pray that God touch my mind to preach to you. Your responsibility is to incorporate the word of God and walk in truth. And that is important because as I present truth unto you, what you do with truth, it's important. Your response to truth is important. And when I say response, it's not, well, praise the Lord. No, no, no. Live it. Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, add knowledge. And to knowledge, add temperance. And to temperance, add godliness. And to godliness, add brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, add charity. Live it. Living the truth is of absolute importance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, tonight for this night. We spent in your house, and we pray that your words will find root in our hearts, Father. Help us, God, we pray that we can serve you that we can live for you, that we can protect our minds and our spirits 
from the contaminating influence of society. Help us, O God, to allow your word to be a guiding principle in our lives. Please, O God, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.